Hello. Hello. How you doing, Roslyn? I just saw you retweeted this uh, announcement. I was congratulations on your first retweet. It's like that's a big, big thank deal. you. It's my first. It's my first tweet. Period. <laughs> Full stop. Is it? Wow. And I have eight followers. Look at you. You're coming up. Those are numbers. You're going to be a good Twitter user, I think. Which is, I don't know if that's a that's a uh, insult or a compliment. It feels like it an probably insult is. Let's from just take you. what's this what's this Twitter thing? I thought we were doing an Sorry, X space. Sorry, I, I don't think it's actually called X. It's pronounced some other way. You know, well, it, it may be spelled Something X, like but pronounced Twitter like Prince. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, <laughs> people don't know this. <laughs> Chase, welcome. Welcome to our thank you Twitter space. I think we're pro Twitter space. We're tro- we're pro- we're pro X space. SpaceX. Holy okay. shit! I just wow. Yeah, it's gonna get bad. I just figured. Yeah, rockets are pretty interesting. The <laughs> X X space. No, we're not. We're actually. I'm, I'm anti SpaceX. I think space is like there's a reason why people aren't there. Like we should just stay out of it. That's my. My take. The lack of air is part part of yeah, it. Yeah, but it's also like it was made that way for a reason, you know? Just don't push it. <laughs> That's what I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a sign. Okay. It's a sign. Might be yeah. a minority position. I don't wanna I don't wanna um speak for Roslet here, who's as we know a space supremacist. I'm a space I'm a space head, a known space a head. S- <laughs> All right, Chase. Welcome to the to the space, and for everybody that's listening, uh, I want to welcome you, and we're going to spend about 45 minutes here getting to know the Vaporware squad, so there's some other dudes here, um, oh, yeah. oh, some other guys here who are, uh, let me know if I should, I think we're going to talk a little bit, those of you that are requesting to speak, um, I need to run my mouth for a little bit, get out of my system, uh, and listen to Chase, uh, Chase talk for a little bit. And then we can uh, get into questions for um, for Vaporware and the rest of the team. So, um, Chase, uh, I did not go to reassembly, but I've heard good things, and I heard of, I've heard um, a lot of good things about your presentation uh, in particular. So, um, I was wondering if you could just kind of like walk us through. You know, you don't have to pretend like I wasn't there because you know I wasn't. So, sure. walk me through kind of what you guys presented and. In, in so doing, kind of introduce vaporware to a lot of people. And um, yeah, yeah, go from there. Perfect. Um, so what we presented in Wyoming was kind of two things. It was a story about how we think Web2 came to dominate desktop publishing and just like desktop apps in general. Like why, why did these things called web apps uh, perform financially, economically, so much better than the previous version of software that we had. Which, which was uh, what? Just so, and, so, I mean, I'm, I don't want to jump which in too was, much, but yeah, I, yeah I'd which like was like, that, actually. That's you know, you download, you go, you go the, you go to your local Best Buy, you <laughs> pick out a CD, you yes. bring that CD home, yes. you put it into your machine and you've got software now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is, that was the predominant way of, of getting software for, a very long time and then the internet came along and this smart guy named paul graham who was a lisper decided that rather than distributing software through a disk they would distribute their their software by running it on their own servers and giving their customers access to that software so was that a paul that was uh, a paul so, graham joint huh that was i didn't know that look at him paul 
Yep, ViaWeb, I think, was, you know, I think you could argue whether ViaWeb or Hotmail was actually the first client-server-based, like, SaaS product. Um, but I, I think Paul Graham and ViaWeb have a, a reasonable claim on, on that distinction. Um, oh, well, that's, that's, I learned something new. I thought I knew everything, but here we there go. There you go. Yeah. There were, like, clearly technical improvements to doing this. Like, you could just... There were just like new categories of, of software that could be created because of this. But yeah. what Paul reflected on sort of at the end of the, the internet bubble was the, the real killer feature to this was capital efficiency. Yeah. Um, the teams could be much smaller. The software could be iterated on faster with lower effort. Like you weren't pushing for a year to release a new CD only to find that there were innumerable bugs in it. Yeah. Um, and be because, because the, the, sort of capital efficiency of creating and distributing software. You had a global audience from day one. Because, because it was so much better, it became very attractive to investors, to, to uh, mm. existing capital. Yeah. And the returns could be larger, faster. The teams that uh, required the investment were smaller. And so for any fund of a given size, what ended up happening is that you could make more sort of investments across software as an industry by investing in web app companies. Mm, um, okay. And, and, and this, this I think is basically like the, the key insight that Paul had in, in this um, essay that, that I referenced called the other road ahead. Um, and I think that this is like the key sort of lesson that we as a, you know, sort of like budding new computing device type need to learn from Paul. Um, I think mm -hmm. to, to be fair, like blockchains have had their own version of this. I don't think that people have written about it quite so clearly yet, but there's similar kinds of monetization distribution mechanics that have been um, created for that uh, computing device that, that are net new. Um, so, so, so you, they, by, but just a second. So, so by, by uh, blockchains have had this, you mean that blockchains also kind of innovated a new distri distribution slash right. monetization uh, model? Yep, okay. That's right. Yep. How do you like? How do you fund uh, the development of runtimes of software running uh, within those runtimes? Like blockchains basically have have a new system for doing that. And yeah, uh, it was different. It was different than what we saw with the original web apps in the, the nineties and uh, early two thousands. Um, but I think that this is like one of the key things that a community like ours has to wrestle with is that these things are never just about technology. Uh, mm -hmm. They're about monetization models. They're about the markets yeah. that you're targeting and it's about the distribution channel that you're building your product to take advantage of. Yes. Um, yeah. And those those were the lessons that that I took away from sort of this this body of writing. Um, yeah, yeah. So so that so that was part of the presentation is like just getting people acquainted with this. Yeah, yeah. So I have a quick question about that because like I think um, I wonder if you so you you mentioned I, I mean I'm not sure if I would use I would use monetization and financialization differently in some ways. Blockchains are kind of interesting in that it kind of like all matches together, but like, yeah, you know, there, there's certain ways in which you, um, let's say capture value to use the uh, nice euphemism. Uh, <laughs> you, you rent seek on your software as a web two person. Right. And that's one thing. And I would call that 
monetization. Um, and then there's also financialization, which is that like essentially, which you brought something up, which I'd never really thought about, which is kind of like web two changed what like investing in software looked like, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, because of all the things that you brought up. So I, I, I'm wondering if, if I'm right in like, in that distinction, or if you think that's kind of like a false distinction that, that I blockchain, think, I think it's a that. little bit of a false distinction actually, right? Okay. Like monetization is, uh, how much you charge when and using what sort of medium it's like those three things that determines your monetization model are you charging yeah. up front are you a freemium are you charging only when they try to use a certain feature mm-hmm. are you accepting credit cards or do you like do you accept cri- like all those things that that goes into monetization um and Blockchains are interesting because they monetize in a very roundabout way. Like they, they don't charge, like the way that they charge is very uh, indirect. But I think mm-hmm. that that still is like, that is their monetization model. Is this like indirect financialization of the underlying network. And the way that that grows is sort of the way that they fund, uh, fund like development of it. Um, yeah. So I like the 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 thing that makes blockchains weird and just like tokenomic stuff weird in general is that I think you're right it does collapse this like these two worlds that we previously thought were a little bit more separate which is like the monetization yeah. for the infrastructure or the software itself and the way that it gets finance like the way that it gets uh, capitalized um, yeah and blockchains merge those two things to a very large degree yeah yeah. Okay. All right. That, no, that's that's really interesting. All right. So conti- continue on your uh, tour of uh, cool. open source software. So, so um, that that was like background that I, I thought, you know, I hadn't heard talked about very much within Urbit or, or even just like more generally. Like this is a mm-hmm. part of computing history that I don't think gets as much attention as it probably should. Yeah. Um, and the the reason to be aware of this is that we as a community looking to bring a new computing device to market need to be strategic about the way that we think about channel and model and uh, how we're constructing products using this computer to take advantage of those specific features. And okay. in, in particular, right, like the, the challenge that we have here is not just launching a computer, but it's launching a computer into an existing um an existing market that has very strong network effects in place already. Um, like yeah. these web two giants have basically like they have created an engineering discipline out of network effects. Um, yeah. And we're yeah. not like, we're not going to be as good at, at as, as they are at this. Um, yeah. So, so we, you know, part, part of the thesis at vaporware is that we need a better, like we need like a more powerful effect. Like we need some effect mm-hmm. that can outcompete their network effects, yeah. and uh, we we think that sort of free open source software development is the uh, the instantiation of a effect that's more powerful than just these like network level lock ins that these companies have. We think that uh, by providing incentives for peers to create and distribute and mod and fork. Um, software and making it so that those things are, are sort of like monetized and clearly valuable, uh, you, you can like abstract out one level. We're no longer competing across, you know, 
individual software verticals were now competing sort of for the most performant uh, like software ecosystem. And so okay. like the, the channels, the channels of software distribution, the way that we're monetizing, um, we're, we're basically trying to design a system at Vaporware that uh, can like capture that, uh, that intuition and um, automate it. And so we're, we're doing this uh, sort of using Urbit and, uh, and blockchains and We've got some early examples of it. The core mechanisms are basically working at this point and we're figuring out um, like how to package this up into the first sort of like consumer facing things that give people a rough idea of what this kind of system could feel like. Got it. So, so just to go back, you were talking about distribution channels and, and things of that. Yeah. Just, can, you, can you just give me some examples of like, you know, you, you were talking about how we need to think about this Give me some yep. just examples for, for myself and for maybe other people that are that listening. the app store is is one of the largest software distribution channels today. And yeah. the software that gets distributed via the app store must abide by the rules of that distribution channel, right? Like the thing mm -hmm. that makes a distribution channel a distribution channel is that the products launching through that have to you know, bend themselves to the will of the channel. Like the, the channel yeah. does not change itself because of some product. Um, yeah. Craigslist, email, th these were all, or are still distribution channels. Um, and I mean, so, so, so it's just a, a quick question, which is like, you know, to, to go back to the model of like, hey, I have some serv I have some software on my server, pay me and you can use it, right? Which is the sort yep. of classic SaaS thing is then would you say that the, you know, what is the channel there? It's kind of an interesting the question. Internet was the channel, the just the internet channel. is, yeah. So which is, which is interesting because it like actually enforces relatively few constraints, um, the channel itself, Correct. you know, when compared with like the app store or things of that nature. So it's interesting to think yep. like, you know, that that's, it's kind of like a, a clear, a clear channel, if you will, in some ways. Yeah. It it certainly started that way. And I would, I would argue over time, you know, it became sort of balkanized and is not, uh, it's not so easy anymore. And I think that that yeah. presents an opening for an ecosystem like us to hundred percent out compete yeah. in that way. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Um, so, so in terms of the, yeah, I mean, like, can you be a little bit more concrete in terms of what the, you know, but, but still at a high, high level, um, concrete and high, um, yeah. Uh, of, of what the solution is, you know, and how, and especially how, how blockchain relates to this, because it's sort of like, I think a lot of people also just don't understand the relationship between Urbit and blockchains currently and how that could be different, you know? So yep. if you could, yeah, explain that. Yep. So we're, uh, at a high level, we are using NFTs as both the monet monetization and distribution channel for software running on Urbit. Okay. Um, so blockchains are global systems. They're permissionless. Uh, they have many different sort of front end clients. So if one isn't doing what you want it to do, you have the option to, to go use others. And so it, it's very similar to that early, to those early internet days where uh, the, the cost of distributing something through that, that medium was, was quite low. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Block, blockchains are even better though, because they have monetization built into them from the outset. And they have, they have the most just insanely powerful monetization like mechanisms that I've ever seen. My, my background's like, I'm like a marketplace guy. Like I started my career off in normal web two, like e-commerce, three-sided marketplace style companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the toys that you have in blockchain to, to monetize NFTs in particular, to do sort of automated payment flows, to do auction mechanics, to do like automated, ref- it's just like, it's mind blowing how much has been created in the last couple of years here. And yeah. un- unfortunately, like that piece of the technology has been overshadowed by just like the, the shit coinery that's gone on. Um, and yeah. the, like absurd prices that JPEGs have been selling for. But the actual innovation there is like astonishing. Uh, and we're, we're basically encoding access to software or data running on Urbit as an NFT. And then okay. um, when, when that NFT is minted or transferred around, the code or the state is replicated across the Urbit nodes that are associated with the wallet that owns the NFT. Like that, okay. that's sort of the high level. So to give you just a, a sense of like a user flow here, you come to OpenSea, you buy an NFT that says like, it's the, it's the talk NFT. It gives you access to, to talk. And when you buy it, uh, we generate a, like a redirect link for you. You click on it, you sign a challenge message via MetaMask or whatever wallet you're using. Uh, and then assuming that that wallet owns the NFT and also owns the azimuth point, then we automatically log you into that experience. So it's, it's like you can go to NFT mark. It, it's not like you actually can now go to NFT marketplaces and buy an NFT that represents user-owned, self-sovereign, peer-to-peer software. Amazing. Amazing. So in some ways, you've gone full circle. So like, you know, but, it, and then, we're now like we back have a virtual to the Best CD Buy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're back to the CD day. Uh, you've yeah. got like a digital CD now. And you can, you can, you know, if you want to be a pirate and burn a copy and give it to someone without anyone else knowing, you can do that. If you want to play the game for a while and then get sick of it and resell it you can do that um and it's all right like the 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 protocol runs on urbit so once you have our protocol running on urbit uh you're like we're kind of out of the picture if you if you don't want us there i I think there's Mm -hmm. like a bunch of things that we're going to try and provide to make this a very compelling like we want to be a basically a compelling service provider within this world um yeah but if you want to go opt into something else, it's like all your own code at this point. And the monetization stuff's all on chain. So you can fork it or choose a sort of different chain or different set of contracts to interact with. So that that's the way coming back to this conversation around incentivizing open source software. Like this is sort of the, the core kernel of an idea that I think will eventually get us to that world. Interesting. Interesting. And so 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 yeah, I mean, I think that like the and and I'm asking you just to kind of reorganize the thing you've said, which is like I was thinking like, what is the benefit for the the software uh, creator slash distributor, or just let's call it creator in general, right? Because this would sure. apply equally to what we now consider to be. It really blurs the line between like NFT creator type thing 
and developer, right? That kind of all right. be creators, which I think is actually, by the way, I'll come back to this, but I think that's a really powerful thing that's very urbity. Yep. And then the other thing is that there are, there are people, of course, who are just consumers of this stuff or, or, or collectors of it. Um, and so can you kind of just be like, okay, what's the, just, what's the benefit for creators and what's the benefit for uh, collectors slash consumers? Yep. Yep. So uh, taking creators first, um, let's, let's imagine someone that wants to develop a very sort of straightforward HTML5 game today. Um, their options for distributing that game that they've made is basically like itch.io or crazy games. And yeah. It, it like sucks. It just, it's not a good experience trying to make money or find fans from these games. Um, you basically only have ad revenue uh, as a, as a potential way. So, so, mm -hmm. okay. In in a world where you're instead using urban and vaporware, uh, you can be a developer anywhere in the world. And all that you need to distribute your software globally is know how to write code and then have a wallet and doing that you can write your code, create an NFT, and then people can buy that NFT for whatever absurd price you want globally <laughs> from day one. Yeah. Um, and you don't need a company. You don't need, you know, sort of maximally, you don't even need approval from everyone. You can just tell people that this is what you're doing and, and use the, the Urbit protocol that we've developed to, to do it. Uh, and so there's no, there's no overhead to getting started as a developer at that point. Like it's, you have to deploy a, a contract, you have to like market it and that's it, um, which is extreme level of efficiency, capital efficiency compared to, to what people are doing today. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the, the second benefit here uh, is that you can develop software that would be illegal to offer as a centralized service. There, there are lots of things that individuals individual people can opt into doing with each other that is perfectly legal, uh, but that is illegal to mediate as a centralized company. And so developers, because their, their users will be operating their own nodes running the software, again, like they're not, they're not offering the service, they're just providing the code that executes the service. Um, that, that means that you can write categories of software that otherwise would not be possible to write. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's just, you know, that's not even talking about the peer to peer stuff that Urbit has going on that, that we think is very well, interesting. Well, I, I would, I would say, I mean, it's interesting that you, I mean, there's the legality, but there's also just like the kind of like, I don't know what you would call it, like chilling effects. I mean, it, it's like, it's um, the uncertainty. It's the risk that yeah. you have to take on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of one of these things where it's like those things do. And I think also just like the, 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 the prospect of creating a company, being centralized, all this stuff. It's like, it, it ends up shaping the software that's written, if that makes sense. Like it's sort of like, that's correct. You, because, because you have to think about this stuff. So it's like legality is almost like the most obvious thing, but there's all these kind of more subtle ways that the status quo kind of shapes software, creative software as well. Just like, you know, what games get made, what games don't get made, what art gets made, what this and that. And I think it also like, just precludes the the type of person who can participate in this market. Yes, um, yes. Like there there are there are huge parts of the world that could not go through the effort of getting a corporation started and meeting like all these 
sort of, you know, nation state requirements, um, regulatory requirements to, to like use the, the systems of distribution as they, as they currently are. Like, are you going to get a merchant account? Like what, yeah. What are yeah. you actually do? Like, what do what do you actually have to do to like process meaningful transactions? Like, maybe you maybe you're like a, a kid in, in India with an incredible idea for an app, but if you started making money, it would be like it would be a nightmare. Actually, um, <laughs> more so trouble. I think you're right. That, that, yeah, I think you're right that there is like a unseen um, sort of chilling effect that that this has had on on software development. One thing I was gonna I was gonna ask you is an. I, I'm I'm not sure if all Urbit people are obsessed with Pinboard, but I am personally obsessed with Pinboard. Um, because are you familiar with Pinboard, Chase? I have no idea what that is. Oh my lords! Okay, you got to work this into the pitch. <laughs> It'll appeal to like six people apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, literally tens of people. But um, Pinboard is a God. Who remembers delicious, delicious? Um, it was like DL, D-E-L dot I-C, whatever. Um, and it was a social bookmarking app. It was just absolutely amazing app. Um, back in the kind of early heady days of, of the beginnings of Web2, you know? And it was like, you basically could like, it was very slick where you could have, make bookmarks and you could then share lists of, you know, and, and categorize them and make some of them public and some of them private. So like I could... I could follow, you know, uh, Roslyn Tanner has, for example, a flan blog uh, where she posts about her favorite flans. And like, I would subscribe to her <laughs> flan list, you know, her, her Mexican restaurant, um, Comida Mexicana uh, list. So, you, but so you could do this in this sort of very interesting, like low effort user generated content way, but it was just links, just bookmarks. Yeah. So brilliant idea. Delicious uh, Pinboard started as I think is like a like kind of like a ripoff or I don't know there's some open source version of of Delicious. Delicious like really fell on hard times and Pinboard bought it actually, and wow. it just basically provides this like very this one very good service right. But the guy who runs it has like is something of a folk hero in that he is very explicit that he's like I only want a few thousand users like I don't want a lot of users I don't I want I like design this business as an actual lifestyle business. You know, I, I want as many users as I can like comfortably support just me. You know, I don't want to hire yeah. people. And uh, I mean, I, I'm a member and it just, it, it's like, you know, you file a bug or whatever and it's like he answers it and it fixes it later that day type thing. It's it's amazing. And, um, and so the quality of software and it's is like, much higher. it's very quiet, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. It's simple because it's like he's just pay, you just pay him for the service, right? There's no weird shit. There's no like ads. There's no you know redesigns because some designer is bored and wants to change where all the buttons are and stuff. Um, and so, but it's interesting because he did this thing where it was initially very cheap, but then it gets more and more expensive every user that joins because he's like, I don't hmm. actually want a lot of users. And I've thought about that a lot. It's kind of like a, what's it called? Like very reverse Dutch, whatever. There's so yeah. one of these things, right? And it's like, yeah. I think there's a lot of different mechanisms for, for monetizing. I mean, using monetization, I think in the exact way you're talking about, that's kind of like more new, right? That you could do all this wacky shit with, with NFTs and stuff. Um, yeah. And like, you know, you could auction off, you know, access to your software. You can do all this stuff. And I think it's like that, that in and of itself 
could also stimulate a lot of like different, I think not only just like software, but different lifestyles of the developers. I think a lot of, I think the pinboard model actually appeals to a lot of developers because they just want to work. You know, they just want to do their thing. And, and for, for very good reason, like it's, it's, when you take a step back and you think about the way that we modify our homes or our cars or like these other physical objects in our life, software does not work that way. Like the, the cost, the, the capital cost of producing software and maintaining it over time is still so high that no. oh, like we're, we're more than 20 years in, into the 21st century and we still don't have sort of like, you know, family software. Like what yeah. the fuck is going on? Like this is insane. Like we we have been developing software for you know seventy plus years, and we still yeah. don't like we still don't have a model that is affordable enough that we can have sort of customized family software. Well, it's also um, it seems like it's gone backwards in my just even in my lifetime, you know. And I think that's because it it has become dominated by the method of of financing. So it's sort of yes. like anything that's not going to have the potential of having a TAM of every human on earth, it's like they don't even – why bother, right? Because you can't raise money. You can't this. You can't that. So it's like it doesn't even get off the ground. And so I do think yep. it's like there's something to be said. Like I think the creative possibilities opened up of what you guys are doing is like – and that's what I was saying before. It's like I think that if I you know re- record this, my prediction is that you know – Basically, this this idea of the creative, like NFT, digital creative person, it's like developers belong in that category, you know, and that's not their self image a lot of times. But I think it's like that is like the rise of the kind of understanding developers as creators in the sort of creator economy type sense is going to be like one of the main things that Urbit and I think Urbit with Vaporware in particular can can offer. So that's really, really cool. Yeah, I think. I think that, you know, once you get past the, like, the ape images, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of this happening in NFTs already. Like, the, the actual pieces of the NFT industry that are interesting are these on-chain mechanisms that drive sort of intentional social behavior. And mm-hmm. the developers, the teams putting these things together are doing it consciously. Like, they are playing with human... Uh, sort of, they're playing with incentives to to drive human behavior in a way that they want. And we're yeah. like very early days, and so the the most basic versions look like just encouraging people to like pump their own bags. But it's gotten much more sophisticated than that in the last year. Um, and it's it's hard to see if you just take a like surface level um, sort of approach to the NFT industry. But once you actually dive into some of the things that they're, they're doing and the impact that it has on the, the base of people holding that asset, like you, you can start to see that this is, these are very early prototypes of the kinds of things that we'll be able to, to build at scale in the future. Uh, and it's, it's very creative work. Like you're no longer just like sitting down in front of a JIRA table, like knocking <laughs> through your task list, right? Like it's, yeah. It is. It, it it combines technology and culture and human behavior in a very new way. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. So to that end, like, what what are your in terms of this kind of let's just say NFT world or you know whatever whatever we want to call this? Which I think these are all these are all speedily just mixing together, right? So it's like 
in yep. this world, like what do you think are the projects that you find compelling that you, you think, you know, you'd like Vapor to, to work with? I think that these experiments around like very sticky, like network community design um, where, where the token, the tokens are a bit of a, like they're, they're a skin in the game mechanism. Like they signal to mm -hmm. the other people per participating in this, that like you've, you've put some amount of stake into this thing and then yeah. you participate in sort of, you know, the, the co-creation of cultural elements, memes, uh, posts, in-person events. Like I, I think that this, that feels more, more like the, the thing that I had in mind when I first started learning about DAOs. Like, oh, it's, it's this like incentivized group of people that are all aimed in roughly the same direction, but are like performing their own little experiments at the same time. Um, yeah. So I, I find that stuff very interesting. Like, frankly, I think the Milady project is probably like a magnitude of order um, more complex and interesting along this axis than than any other project that that I'm acquainted with. Um, yeah. I yeah. think that people kind of underestimate some of the the thought that has gone in, into what they're doing. Um, and I think if you if you spend more time sort of understanding the the financialization combined with the like cultural elements of it, it, it it's like it's very interesting so i think that stuff is cool um i'm also just excited about like helping urbit developers monetize software that they're already making um, yeah like we we've produced a, a game for urbit that we call tharsis uh and we have monetized this via an nft so you can come to our minting page buy this NFT and then we automatically transfer the software to you. Um, where where, where is that page, just, by the way? I, it's on. Can you, uh, can you divulge? Yeah. Can, can I put a message in here? No, there's no. You, you, I think you can reply to the space. I think. It, I don't know. I, okay. I'm just, I'm confused. Though. Maybe the bottom I'm, I'm right Twitter dumb. of the app thing. <laughs> it's, it's, Unfortunately, uh, it's, you're going to have to come on here and pump these bags. And for like, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, Tharsis, T-H-A-R-S-I-S, tharsis.vaporware.network. And you can mint okay. there. Um, and and when you mint that, this is a, this is a client server game. You can either uh, choose to just be a client and play on one of your friend's servers, or if you want to start your own server, invite people to a game, you can do that too. You get both of them. It's open source software. We encourage you to hack it and mod it and uh, make it do things that it wasn't originally intended to do and we're thinking about how to uh sort of uh incentivize some of that behavior in the future as well um so that that's like the other category that i'm very excited about and we're you know we're building other kinds of consumer applications um internally now that we think sort of demonstrate this and and hopefully demonstrate some of the other ways of combining urbit and and like crypto incentives yeah yeah, I think there's definitely I, I agree with you that there's kind of like a lot of learnings to be gotten from the whole Romelia the, the what they've done. Um like that I that I think are, are gonna be I I think it's like it's it's impossible to deny that they've done it the best, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Like in the in a lot of ways. Um, I, I think that they've done of, very innovative things. Yeah. 
and I, and I think it's and I think it's one of those things where I think some of it was on purpose and some of it wasn't, which it doesn't it doesn't really matter which one is which, you know. Um, but I do many, think many it's such like, cases in history. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like being accidentally right is still still works. Um, it's not like yeah. less points. Um, but I think uh, it's going to take it's taking a while, and it's going to take a while for people to kind of like internalize those lessons. And I think there's a lot to be done. So it's like I do think that. But I do think that all the big projects in the future are going to look look like that in some way, you know. And I think yep. there's, um, but it's like it's like I think a lot of it's kind of like, um, you know, there are some bands, and I always forget, you know, what people would use as an example. But it's like there are bands where it's like they spawn all kinds of different genres, right? That basically imitate one of their things, right? So it's like someone imitates the drums of Led Zeppelin and someone else imitates the vocals of Led Zeppelin. Right. It's like, I feel yeah. like I, I'm not, I'm sounding like a very big Romelia simp. I'm actually a moderate simp, but it's like, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's like a thing where it's like someone, every element of what they've done can kind of maybe be used by other projects uh, in different ways. And I think that's like, and, and I think that, but I think vaporware is going to make some of what they wanted to do even more, even more so in some ways. I think the idea of being able to release software to uh, people in your community who you know are in your community because there's cryptographic evidence of it, like that, that just feels like a very exciting new thing that has been unlocked with Urbit. Um, yeah. And, and it's like open source software. So if you're a project that is already invested in sort of this like copyleft ethos, you're you're aligned there um yeah i think it's very exciting i also just think the idea of like taking this this nft mechanism that has been over the last two years you know expanded and built on in the DeFi space just like these absurd financial tools that have been made to to do different things with them like taking that that like form and attaching running software to it is is a fucking nutty idea. Like imagine yeah. imagine board apes, but instead of just a JPEG, you have like encrypted crazy software doing like valuable shit behind the scenes, and and then you yeah. plug that into the DeFi uh, machine that's been created. Uh, that yeah. just seems like uh, it seems like something that traders will get excited about. Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's very. Well I think. What's really interesting to me that vaporware is doing is sort of, I don't know if democratizing is the right word, but I just like, you know, the possibility that it opens up to all these people you guys were talking before about sort of like the incredibly high barrier into, you know, getting things done, the administrative barrier, or the bureaucratic barrier, like seeing that kind of like go away and allowing sort of like, you know, creative um, nobodies uh to get things out into the world is really interesting to me. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, like what happens. I think, you know, sometimes the most creative stuff we never see because there's just such a barrier yeah. in this yeah. stupid, ridic ridiculous world that we have created. Well, um, hey, Poldek. Yeah. Should we um, give people a chance to maybe chat a little bit and ask some questions? Let's do it. I'm going to mute myself because apparently I can't stop talking. I have some sort of uh, <laughs> problem. Um, <laughs> um, but those of you who are listening, if you have questions, uh, go ahead and, and request to speak. Um, that's how it works. Let's see. Mm. 
If not, I'm just going to continue talking. You better watch out. Mm. Someone was asking earlier. See, Roslet, now you're... Um, now look. Yeah, well, I've... I've I've why I've I've beaten them into submission. <laughs> They're just like Jesus. Yeah, everyone, everyone's catatonic. <laughs> Which I understand. You know, it's like I understand. I, no, many it's such a, cases. A we just promised no. ourselves we would allow some time. For we did. Questions, we did. So. But if they're not going to take us up, it's like, what can I do? I can lead us, lead a, lead a twit, lead a twit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is, this is why I became audience... very aggressive very quickly. <laughs> this is why our audience loves us, Rosalind Tanner. Um. But I, what I was gonna, what I was gonna ask about is, um, is like, do you think that? So, so one thing that I've, oh, here we go. Logan is requesting to speak. Hold on, I'll hold my, I'll hold my question. Let's see. Logan, I, I brooch. I, you are now. Now there. Speak or forever hold your whatever. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. What's up? Well, um, it's less a question than a thought. The 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 um, topic of like the differences or the relationship between Urbit and, and crypto came up a little earlier. And I wanted to share, you know, I'm coming from Web3. I'm only I'm pretty fresh into Urbit. And something that struck me as interesting, I was at reassembly with the vaporware mm, team nice. there and um on web3 you are using a system of decentralized nodes but the user experience even for a developer is not that you are a node on the network really mm-hmm. you leverage web3 and ethereum to and the fact that it's decentralized but what you get is sort of a, a centralized source of truth really that's that's what you want to get from ethereum you know what is the state of this yeah. contract who owns this nft and what's interesting about Urbit, as I get to know it, is that you actually have the experience of being a node on the network. The way that mm-hmm. groups work and the way that pals work, um, uh, rumors especially is a good example of this. You, you really get that sense of being a node on the network. And there's something that's extremely exciting um, about that. So that was just the thought I wanted yeah. to share when comparing these two and systems. Yeah, and I, I, I'm one thing that's interesting about that is that, like, you know, as everyone who's ever used Urbit and had to give it a minute, right, is that like being a node on a network is a different experience, even in the best of scenarios, than being someone who logs into a website, you know? Right. So it's kind of like interesting to think about how to design that, like, to be, to be, interesting and enjoyable and not just confusing right. <laughs> and frustrating, you know, which is a design problem. Yeah. Well, there's, there's already something fun about it. I mean, I, I even, I've been sort of calling it the dark forest feeling the fact that there is no yeah. global list of apps. And I kind of have to find out, you know, what the cool things are through friends. Um, just the experience, like I said, of using rumors is, is quite fun. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like well, already. I'm, I'm, glad, almost, I'm glad it resonates. Almost accidentally, it's already fun being in the dark forest of Urbit, and uh, it just seems like we're already we're right at the door of exposing that in a more explicit way that speaks to people that aren't technical. You know, I'm a technical guy, so I yeah. get into it and I kind of immediately see that something's different, and I don't know the the extent to which that will easily translate to non-technical users. But 
maybe it already does to some extent, but if not, I think we're just so close to, to getting there. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Agreed. And I think one of the things that's cool about vapor and, and, and Chase, maybe you, you have some thoughts on this is that, or like, just like the NFT boom in general is that like, there's all these users now who like have some technical, you know, probably just, they, they acquired it through excitement, maybe even to like, um, to learn about crypto, learn about NFTs, all this stuff. And that's me. And, but that, that profile of user has like grown quite a bit. It's brought a lot of people kind of into that world to where they maybe can like be more appreciative or more, not, I don't want to, that sounds, you know, pompous, but you know what I mean? Like where, where it's more there, legible. There's some, them. yeah, there's some level of, of background that you, at this stage, at least, I think you have to have in like decentralized, like decentralization uh, projects uh, in order to get this. But I think if you meet that sort of minimum barrier, like interacting with Urbit feels qualitatively different already. Yeah. Like already yeah. there's something about it that feels qualitatively different. And I think you're right that people that have been interacting with dApps that are doing token swaps and doing NFT things. Um, I think that they have met that that like minimum already, and they're also very comfortable with kind of strange UX experiences and yeah, having exactly. to learn new technology in a way that most computer users today are not. Um, yeah. You know, if you go back to the '90s and you were using a computer every day, it was like, okay, you you understood something about that computer, like you understood that sometimes it didn't work exactly right, and you'd have to go figure out like a workaround that's that's like largely not the case for for most people anymore um but in, yeah. in blockchain that is that is the case almost every single time you interact <laughs> with this thing um, exactly. exactly and i think that's to benefit for us like th these are people with capital that are interested in new technology that have sort of the the patience to learn and play with new things and if we can deliver content to them using this native thing that they're already familiar with um, and offer them something sort of like very differentiated compared to other projects. I, I think that that will, I think that that will be very successful. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally agree. And actually Sagram Savluk, uh, is being coy in this space here, but he's brought up a really interesting point in the, um, in the, uh, replies here about the Pokemon thing. Uh, Sagram, do you want to yeah. expand on that? The Pokemon, uh, it might be might be at the at the browser, many such cases. But what he says is, you know, um, uh, let's see. Let me read it here. Uh, one thing to understand: well, here, developers. I'll... Oh, you can go. You could go ahead. <clears throat> yeah. yeah so just to to expand on this, right? What what we're doing is not just like I've been talking about software distribution here as NFTs, but we actually have a a fully general framework such that you can distribute state or uh, subscriptions, other other kinds of things via the NFT as well, um, and so we're we're really able to like we effectively create a token bound namespace within Orbit, and you can shove all kinds of different shit in that namespace, and then and then monetize it via the NFT. And so, so this stateful idea of NFTs is just probably stateful mean. NFTs. Yep. Yeah. And so imagine buying an untrained Pokemon. Uh, you train it by running software on your Orbit. And when you go to sell it, you're not just selling whatever that that piece of code was that defined the Pokemon game, but you're selling effectively like 
your Pokemon's event log. Um, and that that is like net new behavior for NFTs. There, there's no other system that that provides that functionality. Um, and so, you know, you attach a zero knowledge proof to that, and it starts to get very interesting. So it opens up the the whole new um, uh, job possibilities of being a professional Pokemon trainer. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. Like, is, <laughs> you, you could just buy. Uh, sort of low value. I wish I wish I could rattle off the Pokemon names. They would be much more impressive here, but I, I don't know them. But it's like you could buy a Squirtle, and you know you could yeah. uh, level them up to a Charizard. Well, that's a different thing. Um, no. And then sell them, right? Blastoise. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, which is which is actually a very interesting idea, right? Like that there could be this kind of like middle tier value add thing, which yep. is like as far as I know doesn't exist there's no like perf- you know maybe there are farmville farmers for hire i don't know but it's an interesting yeah there there sure. there certainly are but i i think the the sort of more interesting thing is that probably these you know massively produced uh trained pokemon aren't that interesting or valuable but what mm-hmm. you might pay a lot for is like poldex uh pikachu that you know he he mistreated it and then had a stern talking to from his mom and like changed his ways. And now they, they have a great relationship, but Poldek doesn't have, t- like he's, he's in Twitter spaces all day. He can't, exactly, he, he exactly. doesn't have time to train anymore. So he's selling his Pikachu and like, okay, now, now it's interesting. Now it's like a real unique item that came from this person that, that it has a history with. And I would like to pay for that. And I would pay more so- for that because I think it's more interesting. So I have an idea that anyone on this space is free to steal, which is that my son just bought a Gigapet, right? He's like, I want a Gigapet, which is, you know, the for those youngins, is basically the original version of the, it's like the, the most lo-fi Pokemon that can exist. And I'm like, you could literally just make vaporware Gigapets, right? It's like, it would just yeah. be like, and you should make it exactly like with the little, like egg shape, like key fob thing. Um, this is a, a least That's least a zillion, zillion dollar, probably gajillion dollar idea there. Okay, it looks like the, Sagram has has joined us. Sagram, did we did we straw ban your point, or did you have anything else to say about? Yeah, I, I figured uh, out my browser stuff. Um, yeah, you you steel manned it. Um, that was great. Um, oh, perfect. And uh, I mean, you know, the Pokemon thing is fun, obviously, but if you think about the same kind of concept in something more useful, you know, some spreadsheet app that's stuffed with a bunch of alpha that's you know also distributed alongside some crypto trading app that you know is kind of riced yeah. up to be able to like do the stuff that you need to do, plus uh, you know permissions to certain groups and networks that is, uh, you know, where all the good information is. Like you could just imagine some ecosystem of, of apps and compositions that are packaged up and sold. Um, and you know, works like the Pokemon, but, but does more than, uh, fights, uh, Bulbasaur's. That's, that's a really great, I also extreme props for the use of rice up. I haven't heard that term <laughs> in a long time. It's, do, do you know where that Fast term comes from? Is on, it yeah. is on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, from, it is on Netflix. Oh, I mean, is the reason that comes yeah. to mind for me is because like, I've spent so many hours customizing my Linux desktop that I would happily have paid hundreds or thousands of dollars for someone else who just did it for me. For yeah. someone else. Well, it's funny because it's what's funny about that term is that it comes from like putting like LED lights under your, you know, Camry, but then became for some reason the term for, for, 
it came from like customizing rice rockets, right? Uh, the, yeah. the somewhat pejorative term for, for for those kinds of cars, and then it became the term for customizing your desktop. I don't know why it's interesting anthropology there, um, but I love that term. But I think, but that's a great point. Like in terms of, I thought this quite a bit. Like the 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 market on, on just just information market, data markets, right? Um, paying for insights into things. You know, this is actually probably you know it's like the finance industry is are the most serious users of computers on earth right the rest of the shit just pales and it's a comparison and you know they basically use excel and proprietary data sets that they pay a lot of money for right to do a lot of this stuff and it's interesting to think that you know it's like the stuff that's possible yeah like if you if you can sell a data set and transformations of that data set like that's that's a whole new world in some ways. Yep. Um, the the other interesting thing here that we're doing is, um, right, like NFTs now can have smart contract wallets bound to them. Uh, this is this is via a new ERC sixty five fifty one developed by the the team behind like CryptoKitties, started Dapper Lab, so um, very seriously pushing it, and it's it's incredibly useful because then. Uh, then you can have NFTs that own other NFTs. And if these NFTs are plugins or pieces of software or content to be exposed within a piece of software, oh, this, this layering, this layering starts to make a lot of sense. And you could, you know, you could imagine having a Pokedex where the Pokedex is an NFT that has an account bound to it. And that account owns all of the Pokemon inside of it. And then you can, mm. you can sell your Pokedex. So you can do dependency management, basically. You can do dependency management, yeah. That's pretty yep. fucking wacky, actually. That's really, really yep. interesting. Yeah, this is, this is one of the things that we want to get to where, as a developer, you can package up your libraries and your, your tooling and use sort of the on-chain portion as package management, as like, you know, cryptographic proof that this person... Uh, generated this hash based off of the code that's available on Urbit um, and, and then kind of build build a system out of that. And we think it's possible to monetize that system. Um, that's amazing. So That's amazing. Yeah, that's I'm sold. I'm sold. Okay. Very nice. Well, we've come to kind of the end of our time here. So um, unless, Rosalind, do you have any closing thoughts? This is your uh, monologue moment <laughs> no, when you look I, at this camera. I... I enjoyed uh, the talk very much. Thank you. I enjoyed the I, talk I very much as well. Thank you guys exactly. for having us. <laughs> I also enjoyed the talk. <laughs> but but Tanner, I know I'm harping on this flan thing, but flan is funny. And I think it's like the flan NFT series is also great. I think this is great. This is I've, like I've realized that this is uh, just what a missed opportunity to name our company flan. F-L-O-N. <laughs> it's a great, it really is a great <laughs> word. It's fun to say, yeah. which is how I make almost all my decisions is based on the the amusingness of the word itself. Could, could do worse than that. I, I know there's <laughs> a, a, just a, a slight hint of ridicule in Foldex tone, but I actually, um, it is my passion project. And um, uh, I appreciate that you appreciate. I, I represent that comment. Um, no, I, I think <laughs> I represent that statement. No, but I honestly think that like 
like like imagine a NFT series just pictures of Flan. This is great, honestly. Rosa Tanner, you know, collab yes. vaporware. I love we it. Gotta sh- we got a shield. We got to dance our way to the ghetto. We got to, we got to. Yeah, love it. <laughs> We're here for it's it. A chance. I mean, honestly, <laughs> Flan is, is mostly about aesthetics. So um, that's what I a, mean. There's, yes, I know. I agree with you. But there's a lot more beneath the surface. Like it's a complica- complicated thing. It's, it's actually um, uh, a deep subject. So I agree. I think we should be collaborating. Um, I just hope no one steals my idea. And, um, no one can do it like you looking do. Looking forward to it. <laughs> That's true. all right. It's great we talking know. to you guys. Um, so those Thanks, those of you that were listening, we're doing this um, pretty much every week with all the participants in uh, UAC, which is the Urban Accelerator. So we'll have another one next Tuesday. Guest TBA, um, but we're going to be uh, doing them basically from now until. Urban Assembly, which will be in Lisbon um, from uh, basically at the end of end of October. So October 28th and 29th to be followed by Urbit Week, Lisboa, where uh, Urbit does the Iberian Peninsula. Okay, so <laughs> hope to see you all there. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.